Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Spotify or wherever, or of course, Friday evenings on RTE Radio. The show this week is brought to you by our sponsor, Context, a cybersecurity consultancy enabling organisations to build resiliency against today's complex cyber attacks. We'll find out more about them shortly. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 890. And joining me as always is our Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. The two big stories, Niall, this week are Apple, the new MacBook Pro range, and Google announcing the Pixel 6. I don't think we're going to spoil anybody uh, enjoyment by saying who was the clear winner. Who was the clear winner? Do you know what? It makes me wonder, like, who in Google sat down and looked at the calendar and went... Do you know what? We can do this. We can go head to head with Apple and we can win. But they all announce it kind of like last minute. Mm, yeah. You know? So maybe just, so maybe the, Google announced it and then Apple went, you know what? Let's get out the day before and completely ruin it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if that was the plan, you know, advantage Apple, they, they absolutely ah, succeeded. Listen, companies that size don't work that fast or slick. <laughs> It would have been planned months in advance. I thought uh, Google, yes, did better with the phones, but it was nothing as astonishing as what Apple announced. Yeah. Okay. Do do you want to get the new pixels out of the way then? The Pixel 6? Let's do that. Uh, Basically, kind of, I think Google have just said that they are going to do their own soft uh, system on a chip which they're calling Tensor. Uh, it's dual core, 2.25 gigs. It's got some built-in GPU and stuff like that. So all of that helps. Um, but they, I don't think they were really showing off what it can do. Uh, you know, kind of they, there's a security hub in there. Uh, there's little indicators to say, you know, that when the camera and the microphone is being used, uh, it'll give you a list of apps that have used location and when and that kind of stuff. Um, they made a big thing of it being able to translate as you type. And I thought that was a bit weird because my phone does that anyway, funny enough, with a Google app <laughs> mm. <laughs> called Translate. Mm. I was like, oh. Um, so they were doing that. Uh, the Pixel Pass was a bit of a, I mean, they're all at that now, you know, kind of X amount of storage online. You get a pass for this, YouTube Premium, whatever. Um I thought the camera side of it, as always with the pixels, and this is what they're known for, they, they do an exceptionally good job with the uh, uh, with the cameras. And I think with the the hardware is much better than the Pixel 5 was. Um, I think they've done a really good job there. I think they've done a really good job with the uh, cameras. And I think they've done a really good job with the photo apps. But, you know. Yeah, mm. I think I think they've done a really interesting job with the I'm going to call it a headband presentation of the camera. Yeah, uh, where it is literally what three quarters of the way up, you get this and it's band just sticking a, out a slab. Somebody of, else called it a, yeah. a visor, or somebody else called it, uh, <laughs> and then a, a separate color on top of it. So you do get this sort of two tone uh, appearance on the back. Mm. Um, but you know, if I'm not mad keen on it though. To be fair, do you know actually where that would work very well? Where? If you have a, a protective case that lines mm. perfectly with that band of camera lenses, which, mm. of course, is extruding from the back of the phone. So mm. if you had a case that worked around that and everything was level, well, then I think that would be perfect. 
Yeah, yeah. Another, well, I tell you, um, just, just, you know, looking at sort of the, the perennials of screen camera, uh, battery and RAM, the difference between the 6 and the 6 Pro, um, is it is it worth it? I mean, the 6 is 6.4 inches. The 6 mm. Pro is 6.7 inches. Mm. Um, and apparently there's not a heck of a lot between them. Storage, the 6 Pro has, I think, about twice as much. I think the um, uh, the 6 starts at 128 yeah. and the uh, 6 Pro is like 512, I think. Mm. Um, and uh, there there is a bit of a battery bump on the 6 Pro compared to the 6. However, SIM-free, the 6 is €649 euro, mm. and the 6 Pro is €899. Euro. Mm. Is there €250 Euros worth of difference between the two? It all depends on what you want. I mean, if you're really into your content creation and, and photography and video and stuff like that, yeah, I would spend the extra 250 quid. Um, it's interesting that you're kind of comparing the 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 6 with the 6 Pro. I was mm. kind of looking at the 6 Pro and comparing it with the uh, the iPhone 13 with their mm. Pro Max and also with the, uh, the Galaxy 21 Ultra. Mm. And the Pixel Pro really stands up very well against uh, both of those phones, but it's coming in like two, maybe 300 quid cheaper. Mm. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of like in my head, it's kind of like, yeah, I'd love the Galaxy. Yeah, maybe I'd love the, the iPhone. But do you know what? If I was specifically going for video and, photo- and, and photography, I would absolutely get the, get the Pixel. And of course, bear in mind that the Pixel, it's always meant to be the Google's reference Android device. So you're not going to get proprietary apps layered on top of it like yeah. you do with sort of the Samsung's and the HTC. Exactly, that kind of thing. So uh, so no, quite, 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 not, quite nice all around. I didn't think the presentation that they did was particularly flashy or it certainly wasn't up to the standard of, you know, what Samsung or what Apple would have done. Yeah, yeah, not not great on the L showbiz, but two solid phones, I think, yeah. uh, at a good price point. But yeah. neither is going to set the world alight. Although I did find the design quite interesting, mm. but I don't know how quickly that would wear off on me. Well, see, I would love to get my hands on one for two weeks just to yeah. use it. Um, we'll wait and see if we can organise that. But listen, let's get into uh, Apple. And the MacBook, the I mean, this, this is the, the star of the show. It's the star well, can of the we, Can week. we get the other things they announced out of the way then very quickly? <sighs> yeah, they're all, but I'll, and I'll tell you what my reaction to these things, because I kind of came in about five minutes late on the presentation, okay? And I yeah. literally thought I was watching an old video. Because yeah. they were talking about the things you were about to tell us now, the other things, come on. The other things. Okay, the other things. Straight away, uh, there is a new tier on Apple Music uh, for $4.99 a month. That's €4.99 a month. You get a version of Apple Music that is controlled by voice. That is it. Mm -hmm. You use Apple Music through Siri. That's what you get. Fiverr a month. I think it's clever. It's a clever way to get people to use Siri because they've clearly been looking at the data and going, "Uh, not enough people are using it. so, yeah, okay, make Siri a, a selling point by making it part of a UI into Apple Music. If that's what mm. you're into. If you want a cheaper version of Apple Music, that's fine. A uh, new version of AirPods, uh, looking an awful lot like the AirPods Pro with one or two tweaks on it. Mm. They say they've all been re-engineered on the inside. Um, MagSafe charging, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Yep. Uh, so €179, Euro, I think, price point to start. So nothing mm. terribly new there mm. either. Uh, and of course, the last thing that you can't get here anyway is the HomePods. Uh, 
Yeah. And they were looking at HomePod from the perspective of one in every room kind of a thing. Turn everything into a, turn your house into a Sonos <laughs> system if you want. <laughs> Not a Sonos. Uh, <laughs> an Apple system. <laughs> an Apple system where you can hurl abuse at your loved ones in one room and it'll show up in another without having to raise your voice, etc. Et um, yeah, fine. You, you are dead right. Um, if you were to look at this this portion of the presentation, mm. you'd go, that is from five years ago. There's nothing new there. Yeah. These are incremental improvements. Um, and it's not until the, the star of the show came along that you're like, Okay, ah, here we go. Here we go. Now, do you know what? I, actually, I'll tell you the other, the, the, the reason why I was thinking of I stumbled across a, a dodgy video or an old video when I heard this, because, I mean, the information was like, well, what are they talking about? I forgot to say that. Says, da, da, da. Um, but the, the the first video, that I looked, this is the reason why I was late for five minutes, was the first video that came up when I did the YouTube search was, uh, it was Tim Cook. And he was talking about Apple uh, buying into Bitcoin. And they were doing such as, and like after about 30 seconds, I twigged because there was something on the video where, and if you send us your email address to this <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or send us, mm-hmm. all right, scam. <laughs> but I There's thought. There's only one way Apple is getting into crypto and that's Apple coin. Uh, but I thought that was really clever of somebody who's running a scam. Mm, Get it? When yeah. the world is jumping on to look at an Apple presentation and to do something that looks like an Apple presentation and to run your scam. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyways, the star of the show, the star of the week, five years in the making, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, let's talk about the Apple MacBook Pro. Okay. Uh, how I, I I got such a happy watching this show. I felt, I, I felt embiggened by the experience of seeing these new MacBooks come on the market <laughs> because these are the devices that I want yeah. when I when I look for something with Pro mm. on the end of it. I mean, mm. Pro, it's a very masculine thing. Whenever you see Pro at the end of something, you're clear, oh, that's the one with extra power. That's that's the one I want. That's the thing the professional yeah. use. Yeah, professionals that, use. That's what, all the, that, you know, that's what all the mis, mi, uh, misogynistic uh, dinosaurs say. That's, you know, if you want to sell something to a guy, just put pro on the end of it. Like it could be any old junk. But um, looking at this uh, with the new MacBook Pros, they you actually can name the professionals that will be using these devices. It's not empty nomenclature no. put on the end of it. This is you look at it and you go graphic designer, post-production house, uh, production house, but you know, uh, audio, you say, you say uh, music professionals. You you say this like it's something new, okay? Well, I think what's happened with the MacBook, all right, is that the MacBook Pro kind of came along. I I'm kind of thinking like 2005 to 2015 may have been the glory years of the MacBook Pro, right? Mm-hmm. Where it really was a, a pro unit, and as you say, creators would use it left, right, and center. And then mm-hmm. it went off into this airy fairy little land that, that was populated with the you know kind of uh, uh no connectors uh, there was the touch bar it was the, a, 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 a standard definition hd camera um yeah. do you know what i mean it's kind of like it and i think what they've done this time is they have actually listened to the professionals who want a high-grade mm-hmm. machine like this mm-hmm. and they've They've essentially put back all of the things that they took out. 
I think you're dead right. It's one of the weirder things of my PC ownership during the year. Probably the best computer I ever owned was a 2005 13-inch MacBook Pro. Yep. Very fond of it to this day. Yep. Uh, Very well made, had everything I wanted in it, Mm -hmm. very discreet and, you know, worked brilliantly. Um, The worst computer I ever owned was the 15-inch MacBook Pro I got five years later. There you go. So that's what I'm saying. Because all the materials had changed from aluminium to plastic. Keyboard was awful. Keyboard was awful. Mm -hmm. Keyboard was not fun to use. It was just, it it was like the computer I enjoyed using had been put through a blender and really put me off MacBooks for a long time. Uh, But if I had the money, and this is something that's, that's worth talking about later, this is what I would expect a MacBook Pro yeah. in 2021 to be. And not only what I would expect it to be, it's something I can actually get excited about because I know it will do everything I want it to, plus enough space for me to try other things without taxing it. All right. So let's have a, 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 a look at the, the stats and what they've actually done. OK, yeah. so uh, firstly, to bring it back up to pro status. Mm. And to correct the mistakes of the last five years, MagSafe is back. All right. Thank for, God. For charging. Thank God for that. They've put an SD card reader back into it. OK. Wait, mm-hmm. Why they ever took that out is beyond me. Because, you know, for photographers and for videographers, SD cards is, do you know what I mean? It's like chocolate yeah. buttons to the rest of us. You, you just have them all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, HDMI is back. Hallelujah. Yep. Um, they got rid of that stupid touch bar and we're back to, you know, yep. kind of regular function, function keys. keys again. Fantastic, like the right? The, world. Uh, yep. the other things that I thought kind of headlined for me, aside from the processor, uh, is the screen. So the screen has been improved again. Uh, the screen is larger. And actually, I'll tell you uh, what I like about the, the largest screen. It's a 14-inch screen, but because they've managed to narrow the bevels, it's pretty much almost the same size as the MacBook 13, physical yeah. size, all right? Um, they've put a HD camera in there at long last, so it's a, it's 1080 now, not the old 720. And here's the controversial one, all right? They've mm-hmm. put a mobile phone-like notch at the top of the yeah. screen this, this with the camera. talking about, yeah, uh, because it's, it's a design decision. It's familiar to owners of the current generation and, and recent generations of, of mm. iPhone. And I think they came up with an interesting way around it uh, in that they have changed the menu bar um, in uh, Mac OS to go around it. So it still occupies the top of the screen. And then when it reaches the notch, mm. vanishes. Mm-hmm. And then it shows up again on the other side of the notch. So yep. it, there's still a continual line. You don't lose any visual continuity on it. It's just, it's a, it's a little fix that they've, that they put I in. It's sort of like going, okay, yeah, look, we can't get our, <laughs> get out of this problem. <laughs> so we're just mm. going to do something like this for the moment and yep. see how it works. Um, bear in mind, Dusty, we, we talked about the 14-inch. There's also a 16-inch model oh, there is. Uh, as well. Um, the notch, I have to say, I'm a fan. Love really? it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you think about the real estate that you have there just on, on the screen, why are you wasting the entire top bezel just to get a camera in there. 
Okay, yeah. and then you've got your file menu below that. The fact that mm. the pair of them are operating uh, uh, operating within the same space, I love. I don't mm-hmm. understand why the notch is so wide, considering mm-hmm. that there should only be one camera in there. Um, mm. And I'm also interested to see how it will look with non-Apple applications. Mm. If they'll be clever yeah. enough for their menu bars... <laughs> <laughs> to go around the knot. Anyway, we shall uh, uh, we shall wait and see. So they were kind of like the the headlines, and I think actually in that we would have been very happy. But, start, yeah, to start because you're hard to please. Uh, but where <laughs> Apple really excelled was the announcement of the new M1. Yes, I think everybody was calling it M one X or something like that. Able to know that there was, the, yeah, I I'd, I'd heard rumours floating around of M one X, but we got mm. two chips. We got two new chips. We got two, and I did. The short story is, they said, okay, we've released the M one. It's amazing. Now here's the M one Pro, which is twice as powerful as the M one, and we've also done the M one Max, which is twice as powerful as the M one Pro. And four times as powerful as the original M1. It's like, wow. Yeah. Wow. They, they really Tim Allen'd the heck out of that, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> they did. But I don't think it's so much. They've done, I think, what we were kind of expecting them to in that um, with the M1, I think it's 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 four high efficiency cores and there's four... Um, or high, uh, four high performance cores and uh, four uh, efficiency cores. And what they've done with the new M1 Pro processor is they've made that either six or eight performance cores along with two efficiency cores. And then, uh, and it's the same in the, uh, in the M1 Pro. Um, but where the processors really differ is the amount of RAM that they, it'll have included in it mm-hmm. and also the GPU. Because it is very much designed for people who work with video. And with video, you need a really powerful GPU. And that's where they have uh, concentrated their efforts. Yeah. And, and this, this idea of unified memory, uh, I think, is fantastic. Because uh, as we know, when you go shopping these days, you get a, a CPU and a GPU. And they've each got their capacities on it. Now, with right. the M chips, you've got unified memory, where you've got... 32 gigs, mm. for example, in the M1 Pro. Mm. And it's just split as needed between the two. I, li- I, I like the technology. I don't like the mm. pricing. All right. So, for example, um, if you were to go down to PC World, all right, or mm. Curry's or whatever, uh, and you wanted to buy, say, 16 gigs worth of RAM, all right, mm. what do you reckon is the top price that you pay? Oh, off off the shelf for a PC, you're looking at, I don't know, what, 100, 100 euros? Anywhere between 100 and 200. You'd be pushed to spend 200 quid. Yeah. Do you know how much it's going to cost for an extra 16 gigs of RAM in your M1 Pro unified memory? Oh, I shudder to think. I mean, uh, on, Apple has a, a long history of overcharging take on RAM. Take a guess. Take it. So you go to Curry's, okay, and you can mm. buy RAM for your PC. Let's mm. split the difference between 100 and 200. It's 150 quid for 16 gigs, okay? Yeah. You go yeah. along to Apple and you say, I'd like one of your new laptops, please. And would you lob an extra 16 gigs worth of RAM into that, please? And Mr. Apple will say, certainly, that will be. Okay. Uh, me personally, Right, because I know what Apple would probably do, right? Me personally, I'd go, and there's 200 euro for you, sir. Thank you for, thank you for that. Okay, that's what you would say. What would Mr. Apple say as he's robbing you blind? Mr. Apple would say, I'm going to say 400 euro. 
160 euro. Mm, yeah, and and this this really speaks to where Apple is going with their strategy, with their device strategy, mm. because they've got MacBook Airs to sell, they've got MacBook Pros to sell, they've got you know in in different form factors, right? And they all want to impress upon people that yes, it's Apple, yes, it's performance, yes, it's this. This is the one for you because this is in your price bracket. If you need a MacBook Pro. You can buy one of these things right now. You can go off, buy it for work, claim the VAT. This is the device for you right now. Mm-hmm. If you have to save up your pennies, this is not the device for you. If you want to save up your pennies and get a Mac, get a MacBook Air. Mm. That's that's for you. That's twelve hundred euros. It's competitively priced. It's a great laptop. Go for it. If you're a power user who actually needs one of these things for work, mm. yes. Go do it, and it doesn't matter what the what the charge is because a maxed out sixteen inch MacBook Pro in this generation is nearly seven thousand euro. Oh yeah, you know once you max out everything, and yeah. that's not including you know adding Final Cut or Logic Pro or anything like that, in which case it tips over seven thousand. So for somebody like yourself, Dusty, you can look at this and go, Pro actually professional standard. That's grand. That's all my computing needs sorted. I'll go out and I'll buy that. That's great. Um, production houses, they will have the exact same response. Um, for somebody like myself or a student watching it going, wow, oh, that looks so good. I can do so many things on it. It's like, no, hold your horses. You don't need this much power to do that. To do that, You can do it on a MacBook Air. Look, it's priced more suitably for your wallet. Go do that. I think that's what Apple are doing and they've gotten very good at doing it. Feel free to disagree. I just say I'm I'm just I'm ashamed to know you to be honest. All right? Because basically what ah. you're saying is I don't care if it's 460 quid, the company's paying. Well, who cares if it's out now daylight robbery? Company's mm-hmm. paying, don't care. Yep. You know, yep. so uh, I I I I personally 460 quid for 16 gigs of RAM. It's just it's thievery is what it is. It's yeah. out and out daylight robbery. It, it doesn't even cost that much if you are working, you know, kind of with a, a Mac Mini or something like that, if you want an extra, mm-hmm. I think it's an extra yeah. 230 quid or whatever, half that. Yeah. They really have just, ugh. Anyway, uh, 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 so yeah, the RAM side of things. It puts me off. There's no way I was I would spend that. I don't care. Mm. Yeah, that's that that's that's what would make you step away from the table and go. No that's thanks. what would make me step away from the now. I'm fortunate in that I'm not doing half as much video work as I used to. All right, so mm-hmm. it's 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 not really a problem for me. Um, I know. I'll tell you what I would do if I was to buy a, a new MacBook Pro, which is looking really likely. Um. I would get the 14 inch okay, mm-hmm. because I would want the smaller unit for when I'm traveling and when I'm working at home, I'll just have it plugged into my monitor. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would pay the extra 230 to get the 10 core instead mm-hmm. of the 8 core. I wouldn't pay that for the RAM uh, and I don't think I'm going to pay an extra 230 to double the SSD. I'll either put yeah. in well, a new external SSD. external storage so oh, I easily. I can't put in an SSD. Uh, you can use external storage, and especially with the uh, the USB and the Thunderbolt um, things on and everything. Mm. 
It's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. What I really like, though, seeing as they've reintroduced so many connectivity options, and really the only one that's missing is Ethernet, um, is the fact that this 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 could spell the end of the dongle economy. Uh, I mean, when you looked at sort of uh, buying a, a new MacBook over recent years, you had a choice between one, two and four Thunderbolt ports mm. um, uh, for which immediately you're looking at dongles for all the other things you actually want to do. Mm. Uh, finally, those are reintegrated into the body of the new MacBook Pro. Thank God so, for that. Yeah, because the last thing yeah. you want to do when you're packing your bag to go to work is to put a load of dongles in the darn thing. Yeah, yeah. Or, or order one online and discover that it's actually not very good. Mm. Um, that, that is not a pleasant experience either. So, yeah, it's like a lot of the lessons of the past 10 years uh, have been learned that Apple can only push so far in the we'll give you what you want before you need, before you know you want it uh, category. They, they have to play ball at some instances. And then over the last few years, they've figured it out. Mm. You know, they, they know what their users want. And there is a ceiling to sort of, we'll give you what you want before, before you know it, especially when so many of your users are creators. So oddly enough, I mean, we're, we're on the two-year timeline now of Apple introducing um, their new chips, the, the M1, uh, and phasing out Intel's involvement. The last sort of um, frontier at this stage is the actual iMac, um, the workstation. That's that's still available with a, an Intel processor. That's that's due for an M1, probably an M1 Max mm. uh, upgrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very interesting going through the Apple Store to see how quickly the uh, the turnover has been, um, how quickly Intel is being phased out. Well, as Tim said, he said it's a two year transition is what they're working on, uh, and, and that seems to be. What I'd be interested in is to see uh, Rosetta and how long that supports. Yeah, because we, we did have a, we did have that experience when there was the switch over from IBM to Intel yeah. apps. That there was this interstitial period of okay, yeah, what you got is going to work for so long, but then we all got to move on at some stage. Well, actually, it's not that what you got is going to work for so long. Usually with Apple, it's what you got to work is going to work for so short. <laughs> 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 no, seriously, it's because they up, they update the the OS, and mm. suddenly you're sitting there two years later, and you have a computer in front of you, but none of the software that you had on it runs anymore. Well, yeah, especially if you've bought third party software with a lot of uh, plugins. Uh, yeah, precisely, and and actually, do you know what plugins is the thing that you've hit the nail on the head because. The software, especially if you're talking about the big lads, Adobe and whatever, they will eventually catch up. But the plug-in makers are usually much smaller operations and they don't mm. necessarily always uh, catch up, however. But overall, if we were to give marks out of 10 to Apple for their announcement this week, what would you give them? Oh, boy. Like, this is the first time in a while that I've been really... Imp- well, I mean, Apple have had a very good year. Mm. In fairness, they have had a good year. They've mm. had a lot of good product releases and stuff that you're like, oh, OK, that's pretty good. Um, more on the M1. It's like, yeah, OK, grand Apple Silicon. It's all humming along quite nicely. Mm. Um, has everything built up to this year? I prefer um, these MacBook Pros to the new generation of uh, iMacs. So I have to say that. Um, is it their strongest announcement? Um I'm really enamored of the new MacBook Pro. Uh, I think it's really good. I think it's too expensive for me. 
uh, being realistic because uh, I don't think I'd have the use of the sort of muscle that it has. Mm. Um, I think the the MacBook Air would probably do me, uh, particularly if it had a slightly bigger screen. So, yeah, I think this is their strongest announcement of the year. It's an announcement that had to come. Um, Marks out of we, 10. Come on, stop oh, fudging. Marks out of 10. Okay, I'm going to give it a nine. <laughs> I would give it a what nine. What about you? Well. I would give it a nine as well. And yeah. I think we've been doing this program for 890 shows. And I think that is the highest mark Apple has ever gotten from one of their um, announcements and events that we've ever given. Well, you know, we, we got we got 10 shows to go. So, you know, come on, Tim. <laughs> before, <laughs> before we do it, Grant. Listen, that is it for the news this week. Remember, we also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. 2021 has been a record year for cyber attacks with breaches making international headlines seemingly on a weekly basis. Last week, Niall Kitson had a great chat with Pat O'Callaghan, who is the managing director of Context, and went through some of the more high profile incidents of the last 12 months. We've had an awful lot of very high profile cyber attacks this year. And one would imagine that you know, it's been nation state on nation state that there's almost this sort of cyber cold war going on. Uh, not necessarily the case. We've seen much more in the way of a profit motive uh, this year, haven't we? Absolutely, Niall. So in, in if you take Q3 of this year so far, um, there has been 40 million records more than Q1 and Q2 combined uh, in terms of breaches. So the volume is increasing rapidly. And, you know, we're not seeing these impacts necessarily at state levels. There has been, you know, if you take the breach, uh, Alaska government, Alaska Department of Health, fine, you know, they're, they're misconfiguration based ones. But when it comes to hackers, when it comes to attackers, it's generally more in our interest to target specific verticals such as education, such as healthcare. You know, those companies that availability is critical to them, they will want to get back up. They may have to pay quickly. You know, good examples, the Colonial Pipeline, they had to pay to resume operations. And sure, some of that money was recovered over time. But at the end of the day, the attackers out there are focused on making money and it's a hell of a lot easier to make money out of an organization that needs to maintain operations than targeting states or targeting industries just to cause mischief. I think the point of uh, healthcare and education being particularly hammered is of particular interest, say, in the US, where they do have a very, um, I, I guess, strict but very obvious public-private split where you do have for-profit uh, hospitals, effectively also kind of for-profit schools. Uh, you know, certainly if you look at the Ivy League, that sort of thing. So areas that you would have considered off limits or essential infrastructure or something like that in the past, they're, they're, they're pretty attractive targets in their own right now. Absolutely. And, you know, let's take pharmaceuticals and clinical research organizations out of the healthcare bucket for a minute. If we just focused on hospital groups, um, people deriv- d- d- delivering direct line care, when you look at these guys, they're an easy target on so many levels. One, 
as you can imagine, everyone's very stressed. Two, you know, an awful lot of these medical professionals may not be very well versed in technology. So when that phishing email comes in, when that delivery point comes in, you know, people are stressed, they're not focused, they're not looking at those minute details that would lead them to believe to be uh, an attack. So they're often just clicking those things. They're exposing those organizations. They're just easier organizations to attack. They also have a lot of infrastructure like, you know, x-ray machines, various other industrial equipment, OT, you know, operational technology driven devices that might be running on older legacy operating systems, which is surprisingly common. They're easier uh, targets to be able to get into, to be able to compromise. So healthcare is a, a particularly easy one in lots of ways. And then look, if you don't recover those systems, people are going to die. You know, it can be as simple as blood tests being delayed, um, you know, minor operations being delayed, but that all continuously grows and impacts the, the, the organization, the hospital itself. So, you know, taking ethics out of the equation, which, which many of these, um, I don't mean to be trite, but these bad guys are doing, um, it's such an easy target. They want to recover their systems. They have to recover their systems. The human weakness is there insofar as, you know, the people don't necessarily have the skills to protect themselves. So it's easy money. I suppose when you look at, you know, hospitals uh, undergoing these massive digital transformation projects at the moment, uh, and I've seen myself, you know, things from radiology departments moving from film to digital images, for example, something that simple. If all this new technology is coming in, but the training and the awareness isn't there as well, you know, if you've a case that uh, a new fancy big box has landed in the middle of the room and nobody is quite sure how it works. I mean, sort of security training and figuring out the black box, they, they have to come hand in hand, surely. Yeah, look, people in the security industry, again, we, we, we like to feel very important and we like to feel that our industry is very important. And of course it is. But at the end of the day, a hospital or a healthcare organization delivering care is going to be their priority. Now, when you look at something like digital records and move away from paper, look, that that's a whole new vector that's there to be exploited, you know, removing and impacting the availability to patient records, stealing patient records, altering patient records, which is really scary stuff. If we have time, we could go into, um, you know, they're now easier for global hack groups, global entities to be able to attack, compromise and take down, you know, moving away from paper, moving away from physical records is obviously makes things easier, uh, makes the shareability of that information and the ability to collaborate with that information easier and better. But you're also exposing that that availability, that resiliency issue becomes a real problem. When the systems you need to access them have been taken out, the data is gone. You know, you like if, if physical paper records aren't there, what you do if they are there you need to recover them from iron mountain and one of those storage specialists it's just it's complex it's difficult it is progress digitization is progress but it does create problems 
that issue of altering uh, records, that's particularly ter- terrifying because we're used to hearing about this sort of trade on the dark web of, you know, uh, tranches or databases in their entirety. And they, they just seem to be passed around and sold on and sort of mined for anything and, and used, you know, maybe a, a sample of data is sent to the affected organization with a note saying we've got so much more pay up. How, how, how common is it for records to be altered and, and who wants them to be altered? So there's some really interesting projects out there. I'd urge people to Google um, where, take for example in CT scans, um, by altering an element of the code on the device. So actually at the scanning level, processing level, um, you can add visible tumors, visible indicators of cancer to images before they've hit backend storage. Why you would do that? Well, there's there's so many reasons you would do that. One, if you want to actually really impact the hospital, you know, once you impact the validity, uh, the integrity and the trust around your imaging systems, your backend systems for medical, the entire chain of process in the hospital is compromised. How long in the past of these records, how long has this been going on? Have you gone and operated on people incorrectly? Have people lost their lives because of altered imaging or data that's lacking integrity? You just don't know. Uh, again, reasonably easy projects. It's all out there. There's some excellent stuff out there. I would really urge people to look at. Another area uh, that seems to have been quite badly affected by cyber attacks is, uh, of course, mobile phone operators and and telecoms. Uh, If we look at what happened in T-Mobile, for example, where you had literally millions and millions of customers uh, affected, what sort of information were we seeing floating around on the dark web thereafter and what, what use was it being put to? So impacting a telecoms provider, an ISP, mobile provider, what, whatever they are, is hugely, hugely dangerous because if you look at so many of your systems, um, your email, your work systems, they're all protected generally or hopefully protected by multi-factor authentication. If you can get people at the specific cell provider um, to reassign SIM card information, so, you know, the ability to have your phone stolen without someone stealing your phone, reassigning your identity to a new SIM, multi-factor authentication in many cases becomes null and void. They are owning that extra element of authentication. Separately, uh, mobile providers hold a huge amount of information on you, you know, that personal identifiable information, that that makeup of who you are. So taking T-Mobile, for example, that was an interesting one because about 7.8 million customers were impacted, you know, on top of that, um, off the top of my head, I think it was just over 40 million records, belonging to former prescriptions former and potential new customers was also affected. That's a huge amount of information that can be leveraged um, to you know, create, create elements of fraud, to steal, set up loans, to whatever you need be. There's so much more. And look, when you look at the US as well, if social security numbers were included, which they were specifically in the T-Mobile breach, you know, having your social security number, your date of birth, all of your surrounding information, the ability to do credit fraud is so bloody easy at that point. 
um, specifically in the States. So the T-Mobile breach was a bad one, probably one of the worst ones. We don't talk a, a lot about it in Europe, but it was a particularly nasty one. Yeah, and actually sort of coming around again to that subject of, of credit and currency, um, Coinbase also suffered a, a, a fairly bad attack. And one looks at the world of crypto and one imagines that, OK, this is sort of a toy for early adopters for people that really should know better. But that's not exactly what happened in this case. No, no. And uh, look, as someone who has lost his shirt on crypto over the last year, um, that this was this was quite an interesting one. So um, everyone, again, so, sorry, let me step back. Often in our industry, people like to make things seem more complicated uh, than they are. The Coinbase one is actually one of these rare instances where it was a, a pretty complex hack. So there's a vulnerability within the SMS authenticator for Coinbase that was leveraged to expose about 6,000 people's uh, accounts. Look, for any of you who do have crypto wallets locked into Coinbase, you know how quick and easy it is to extract look, even just a small bit of money. So you know, if you're one of those few people, unlike me, that has been successful with their, their crypto investments, you might have five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand, 20 million. God knows in those accounts. You really assume that those extra layer of protections provided by such a well-established firm as Coinbase would be strong. But any technology, any security technology is vulnerable to compromises at some point. There's no, there's no such thing as perfect security. And having the SMS authentication system bypassed so easily for so many users was was a pretty scary one. Yeah, and of course, with the value of crypto being so, um, uh, as you alluded to yourself, so unstable, really something that was a, a breach costing $6,000 today could literally be $60,000 tomorrow, uh, potentially a tremendously lucrative um, hack just by virtue of, of doing nothing and letting uh, those coins sort of sit on the dark web or, or sit somewhere uh, in a wallet maybe for an undisclosed length of time. Uh, uh, of course, we get into uh, another example of sorry, a much more conventional financial services, uh, I suppose, company in South Africa called DebtIn, who uh, also had a, a fairly kind of embarrassing attack as well. Yeah, so DebtIn is an interesting one as well because their requirement to report on the specific numbers of breaches Um it just isn't there. But from the looks of things, um, certainly around 1.5 million South African citizens were impacted by uh, an incident. Now, not all the information is out there, but it's probably worth talking a bit. Look, we, we all like to talk about the sexy side of cyber with ransomware, you know, with complex, sophisticated attacks. But it looks like this one uh, may have been an exposure of data across a web application or towards some misconfigured cloud, cloud stuff. And us as a business, you know, as we work uh, with Microsoft Azure and AWS and customers performing digital migrations, it's those misconfigurations, that exposure of a SQL server, that exposure of a container with information is more likely, more often what we're seeing rather than complex, sexy ransomware attacks. And in this instance, um, it may have just been a 
accidental data breach rather than an attack. Now, there is a lot of illusion around ransomware, but that information just isn't isn't strong yet. Looking then at sort of what can be done, um, I guess maybe not so much on the on the part of companies or the individual, but looking towards sort of state level protections that are in place. I mean, we know that in America there isn't the same level of disclosure, for example, that we have over here in Europe. Um, and that's, you know, that's certainly a, a problem. Do you think Europe is sort of quite ahead of the curve when it comes to the need or the necessity to uh, disclose to disclose any breaches? Or do you think it's sort of there are other places with better practice and, and maybe we could do it catching up to them? That is a difficult question to answer because there's what you're mandated to do, but then what you actually do. You know, an awful lot of the response cases we've been involved in and many of the other security providers and big four entities across Ireland have been involved in. Does the organization always report in a timely manner? No. Do they always report accurately? God, no. Um, eventually, perhaps they do under additional scrutiny. But, you know, are there states, are there entities doing it better? I think the US are so far pretty good because, you know, at the end of the day, your ability to be locked up and go to jail and have a criminal conviction seems more likely than we would see across Europe. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, once an organization is experiencing a breach, everyone seems to think there's an academic process that you'll follow. Look, your your house is on fire. You're, you know, you're standing in the middle of your kitchen. Everything's on fire around you. Reporting correctly on the breach in a timely manner is important. But is it going to be your priority as a business? No. Um, you're going to want to limit the bleed. You're going to want to put the fire out. You're going to try and recover business operations. And then I think you'll try and gather your thoughts and report effectively. So I think applying pressure on organizations to report quicker report more accurately probably just won't work at the end of the day every situation is unique more often than not if ransomware is involved perhaps a zero a zero day or some kind of unique exploit is in use you know understanding that pulling your information together responding and recovering it's really 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 difficult there's not an easy way to do this so more often than not reporting gets lost in the line it's it, um, it may not be the right thing, but I think businesses are generally more focused on getting back operational and then focusing on reporting. And that was Niall Kitson chatting to Context CEO Patrick O'Callaghan. If you want to find out more about the services Context provide to organisations who want to build resiliency against today's complex cyber attacks, you can visit them at www.context.com. That's K-O-N-T-E-X.com. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more, which you can grab at our website, techcentral.ie or of course listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, as always, thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.